0: Well, Philemon is a, is a short book, uh, but today we're just going to focus on one verse, and that's verse 6. So if, if you lost your place, it's on page 1,273, or right before Hebrews if you're using another Bible besides the Pew Bible. But let me, I'm going to read verses uh, 4 through 7. So here's, this is 4 through 7, and we're going to talk especially about verse 6. Philemon is was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And it's related to Colossians. You know, Ron is is preaching through Colossians right now and so while he's gone we're taking this little side trip into Philemon for the next 2 weeks because it's related to and fits in with Colossians. Philemon is a church leader in the city of Colossae. That's the city where the Colossians live obviously. It's in Asia Minor. It's in what we would call Turkey today. And uh, scholars think that Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians were all hand-carried at the same time and delivered to their respective uh, recipients by Tychius and Onesimus. And Onesimus is going to play a big role, as you heard earlier in the scripture reading, in Philemon. So Philemon is a church leader. He has this slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus apparently stole money and ran away. And Onesimus tried to get lost in the big city of Rome. So it's like you run away to Los Angeles so nobody could find you. That's kind of what the idea was. However, God had a different plan. So Onesimus runs away to kind of get lost in the big city. But God takes him straight to Paul. Well, you know, if you're uh, running away uh, and you go to Paul, guess what happens? Paul's going to share the gospel with you. And in this case, Onesimus became a believer and became very helpful and a very uh, helpful person in ministry to Paul and they became very close. So now Paul is sending this le- these letters out to different places and he sends Onesimus with the letter that we call Colossians and Philemon. And he sends these Onesimus and Tychus to Colossae to deliver this letter. So... Paul is going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus and accept him back as a brother in Christ. This is the guy who stole money and ran away from Philemon. Okay, so there's many things to discuss in this book. Even though it's just maybe one page or a page and a half in your Bible, there's lots of different things that, that we can talk about. And as I've looked at it, I've seen a lot of different comments, and depending on what time frame some of these commentaries are written, you can see some interesting things. First of all, let's say what it's not or what we're not going to talk about today. It's not an apology for uh, slavery. There's no apology for that in Rome or as we practice it in this country. That's a whole different sermon. We'll talk about that maybe at another time. It's also possible that you could talk out of Philemon about how we're to treat each other as Christian brothers and sisters. That deserves its whole thing. We're not going to talk about that. What I want to focus on is at an individual level And maybe the reason that I want to focus on this today is because I've heard some really bad sermons on the radio. You know, I drive to work every morning, and I drive home in the night, and I hear these guys, and I don't know what it is. Maybe I just need to, maybe it's me, maybe it's them, I don't know. But I've heard some really bad sermons lately about some, some things that just don't seem to me to square up with the Bible. And so, as I was reading Philemon, preparing for this, I said, okay, here's an example of what's wrong with some of those things that we hear on the radio. So, I'm going to give you uh, an example of some of the the practical things that we that over the next two weeks we're going to talk about practical applications because Philemon is where a lot of rubber meets the road. Even though it's short, even though it may be a little bit difficult to understand in some verses, it's where rubber meets the road. But the thing is the practicality can be misunderstood and now that brings me back to the radio preachers. Verse six, I believe, is the key to understanding what Paul's persuasive argument is, and the understanding why he says what he does to Philemon. And so it's easy, though, verse six is a very difficult verse to understand, and it's very difficult to see things that are left out. So I want to give you an example of things that can be left out and things that, that will be applicable today. So let, let me tell you about this uh, guy, Donald Miller. He wrote this book, Searching for God Knows What. It's a very interesting book, causes you to think about some different things. You may not agree with him, but it's interesting nonetheless. He talks about going to a Bible college, not just any college, but a Bible, Christian Bible college, conservative Christian Bible college. And he says he, was, he presented something to them to see if they could tell what was missing. So let me just read this to you. I presented a form of the gospel, but left out a key element to see if they would notice I told them in advance that I was going to leave out a critical element of the gospel and asked them to listen carefully to figure out the missing piece. So I'm going to read you now what he said to see if you find the missing piece. I told them man was sinful, and this was obvious when we looked at the culture we lived in. I pointed our specific examples of depravity, and he lists a bunch of them, abortion, sexual sin of all different kinds. Then I told the class that man must repent and showed them scriptures that, spoke firmly of this idea. And he goes on, he talks about an example of a man uh, warning uh, drivers that they were about to go out, the bridge was out, and they were about to go, and how he was that, like that man telling them that they had to repent. He said he emphasized the, that the wages of sin is death, and they had to repent in order to see heaven. I then pointed out to scriptures about the wages of sin being death and talked at length about how sin separates us from God. Then I spoke of the beauty of morality and told the story of a friend who chose not to cheat on his wife and so now enjoys the fruits of his marriage. Committed in love to his wife, grateful that he never betrayed the purity and the beauty of their relationship. I talked about heaven and how great it will be to walk on streets of gold and how there will probably be millions of miles of mountains and rivers and we'll sit under, uh, the, uh, next to the river near the mountains and have great fellowship uh, with our friends. I gave the class statistics regarding teen pregnancy, sexual transmitted disease, going into detail about wh- what it is they would be saved from if they would only repent and how their lives could be God-honoring and God-centered and this would give them a sense of purity and feeling of commitment on earth and that God would provide for them in their relationships and finances. you know what was left out? I've heard many sermons on the radio that reminded me of this story. So Miller tells us, this is the interesting part. None of the 45 students in the class realized I had presented a gospel without once mentioning the name of Jesus. These are Bible college students. I'm not saying where, or it's, that's not important. We all can make this, get in this habit. Nobody noticed I assure you these students loved Jesus very much and they were terrific kids. It's just that when they thought of the gospel, they thought of the message in terms of a series of principles or thoughts, but not in a a mysterious relational dynamic. To them, the least important of the ideas was the one that is relational. And then this is a really interesting statement. The gospel of Jesus, then, mistakenly assumed by this class, is something different from Jesus himself. Let that sink in for just a minute. The gospel of Jesus, then, mistakenly assumed by this class, is something different from Jesus himself. So this version of the gospel that he presented to them isn't a genuine gospel, but it's not uncommon, unfortunately. Even in some places, like evangelical churches, I've heard similar things. The students didn't notice what's wrong. So, okay, what does this have to do with Philemon, this little book in the back of your Bible that is hard to find? Well, Paul doesn't intentionally leave out anything, but just like those students, they weren't, if you're not tuned in, it might, something might go right past you and you won't even notice, just like that, Philemon has some very deep things in it that if you're not listening carefully, or if you're not reading between the lines, they'll pass right by and you won't catch it. In fact, if you don't catch it, you might even get a different gospel out of Philemon than the one that Paul intended. So, verse 6, as we said, is the most important verse and in, in in maybe commentators disagree. But it is absolutely the most difficult verse in Philemon to understand. Nevertheless, it's the pivot point for what Paul is going to say to Philemon. So, scholars disagree on exactly what the verse uh, is, but you'll be surprised at what they do agree on. They do agree that when it says the sharing of your faith, it's not talking about evangelism. That's what it says in our English Bibles. But the word, the Greek word for sharing there is koinonia. It's the word for fellowship. Fellowship. It's not the word for evangelism. So it's a, it's a little bit different. So what in the world is Paul, uh, you know, saying in this verse? So if I was to paraphrase it after looking at these commentators, I would say it's, the verse is something like this. This is verse 6. May the fellowship and common life with fellow believers Deepen your practical knowledge of how blessed we are in Christ and how much we owe God because of his grace to us in Christ and evoke a heart response of love. Something like that. Now, why do I say that? Because he writes something very similar in Colossians and also in Ephesians. Remember we said those three letters were written at the same time? They're sent to three different places. In Colossians chapter 1, 4 and 5 since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So again, the knowledge and grace of Christ working itself out in love. And similarly, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he says, uh, The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. This is in 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18. Uh, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So, He's talking about, he has very similar arguments in these, in these three books. So, what is all this theological talk? And other than just flowery, you know, this is the way they wrote letters, and they put all this flowery stuff, you know, kind of like a lawyer pulls out a template. Is that what he's doing here, or why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it for a purpose. It's not j- just a template, although that is the way they wrote letters. But it's not just a template. But here's the practical interpretation and something that can go right past us if we're not careful. The common interpretation and in what I've heard on the radio here uh, recently is basically what I so- call monkey see, monkey do. So, in other words, I, Paul would be saying, I give you all this theology, I give you all this wonderful stuff about Christ, see how great it is, you see that, now you go out and do this and be, try harder until you get there. Monkey see, monkey do. That's a common training uh, thing but it's not uh, I don't think that's what Paul is doing here it's not just a fancy way of saying know what is good and then go do good because that interpretation is really just try harder until you get it and that's a, a human-based attempt to be holy it's not too much different from what I read you in Miller's case where he had basically the gospel and the story that Miller told those students was repent, live a moral life, and God will reward you. It's a try-harder, morality-based, Jesus-free gospel, if we interpret it that way. Now, I want you to listen carefully, because I don't want to be accused of of, uh, going too far in the other way. Do we have a duty to God? Yes, we do have a duty to God. Do we have to keep the rules and live moral lives? Of course we do. Jesus himself said so. But the question is how? So specifically in this book, uh, in Philippians, how is Philemon supposed to to forgive a thieving, runaway, no good, I don't know, maybe he was redheaded, stepchild uh, of a slave? How is he supposed to, no offense to any of you redheaded guys out there, how is, he, how is he supposed to do that? How? That's the question. How? Aren't we supposed to work in our spiritual growth and try harder? Yes, we are. Um, Philippians 2, 12-13. Again, Paul writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work. The important phrase there, for it is God who works in you. So uh, we're supposed to work, but the power, the engine... the the fuel that drives it is God working in us, not our human effort. And I believe the practical way that that works out in our lives is that the Holy Spirit works in us to be more and more in love with Christ and out of gratitude, then we're obedient. And I think that's what Paul is alluding to between the lines in Philemon, verse 6. And that, Christ-thinking love should flow out from us and turn what used to be a duty or used to be a try-harder or used to be a some kind of legalistic response into a genuine act of love. Genuine love toward God and others. Another way to explain it is motivation because that's what Paul is alluding to, I think, here in verse 6. You know, it, those of you who, who know us know that my wife Dee has been traveling a lot lately, and uh, so I, Jake the dog and I have been in charge of the house. And so you can imagine how that goes sometimes, and uh, don't have to go into any details, but I try to have the place picked up and cleaned up when Dee gets home. Now, if I, my motivation, if my motivation to be picked up and cleaned up when Dee comes home is that if that's out of fear or if that's out of manipulation, I want something from D. That's a completely different ball game from what if I just love D and I know she's tired, and I want her to come home to a dishwasher that's clean and a sink that's empty, and the dog hair is under control on the floor, and Jake looks reasonable and the bed's made. It's a completely different motivation and a completely different response and a completely different animal, if you will, from A legalistic response. Or even if D had said, look, here's what I want you to do. See, I've set you a good example. Go forth and do likewise. That's the monkey see, monkey do uh, gospel. That's a different motivation. It's not the motivation of love. That's what I believe Paul is trying to get to. I'm not telling you anything you don't know about different motivations but I'm asking you to apply that same thought about me and Jake or whatever goes on in your life where your motivations may be different and apply that to your Christian life. Are you serving God out of the overflow of love for Christ and for gratitude? Or are you mechanically either trying to manipulate or earn something? I begin with this story of the Bible College students and the Jesus-free gospel. You know... Uh, living a clean life, be moral, do right, and God will bless you. But that is a false gospel. If we're not careful, this try harder thing will read into Philemon. But Philemon is based on, and that's why there's these theological statements in Colossians and in Philemon, it's based on an overflowing heart. We're drawn to this try harder thing because it's familiar, it sounds reasonable, it's the way everything in our life works except for the gospel. The class made the mistake of assuming that the real gospel is something different from Jesus himself. Paul implies all these wonderful things in Colossians chapter 1. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I believe all that is the subtext to Paul's argument to Philemon. And we'll explore it more next week. But the point today is that we can't work ourselves up into this depth of love and this overflow of thankfulness and gratitude based on God's grace. We can't work ourselves up to that. It takes the Holy Spirit working in us. But once the Holy Spirit works in us and that resonance happens, that's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to overflow with grace. We're supposed to draw closer to, to Christ. We're supposed to have love for God and our fellow man. It's supposed to be natural because it's an overflow of what God is doing and not our works. So, here is our homework. Pull out your uh, bulletin, if you would, to the part the front, the Confession. So I will challenge you this week and I'm going to try to do it myself to look at that confession of faith there. In your heart, can you say those words about not being your own but belonging in life and death to Jesus? Can you say that from your heart? Are you assured inside by the Holy Spirit of eternal life as it says there? And in gratitude, can you say the last line, make me wholeheartedly willing from now on to live with Him? It's talking about the same thing that we're talking about this morning. Out of gratitude, the love for Him, by the work of the Holy Spirit, making us wholeheartedly willing and ready to love Him and to live for Him, and our hearts to overflow and turning what used to be a law and a rule and a monkey see, monkey do, into a natural overflow of Jesus' easy yoke in our lives, being obedient to And loving Him with all our hearts and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Do any of us do that perfectly? No, none of us do that perfectly. But that's our goal. That's why Jesus came, to be reconciled. That's what being reconciled to God is like in practical terms. The Holy Spirit working in our loves, falling in love with Jesus every day. And out of that gratitude, loving Him with all of our heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's God's appeal to us. And we'll see more of it next week. Our hymn now is number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be. Number 379, and if you're able, please, uh, please stand and let's sing together.